The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode, we're going to be talking to David Moritz about how he met Wes Anderson and ended up cutting Bottle Rocket from. We also diverge into Jerry Maguire, which he also worked on. And when we talk to him about Jerry Maguire, we reference a scene that was shown the day before. And the scene is sort of three moments happening. There's Cuba Gooding Jr.'s catch of the football and going unconscious. There's his wife, who is freaking out and worried about her husband being unconscious. And then there's Tom Cruise, who's running to the field to find out if his client is okay. And these three scenes, or these three moments are all intercut together. So we talk about that and we reference this sort of parallel editing. So when we get to that moment, that's the part of the film that we're talking about. So enjoy part two of my interview with David Moritz. And how did you meet Wes Anderson? Wes Anderson was found by Polly Platt, who was working with James L. Brooks. Polly knew L. Kit Carson, who just died recently, in uh, Texas. And Wes and Owen were at uh, UT in Austin and had been developing this little short called Bottle Rocket. Uh, Kit invested in shooting, you know, basically they only shot one scene, but they shot it as well as they could, which to this day is kind of a genius ploy. Yeah. Rather than take your $5,000 and try to make a whole 90-minute movie, they made a five-minute scene. And the way they shot it, and the way it was written, and of course, to Wes's great luck, and to Owen's as well, Owen had Wes's eye, and Wes had Owen's amazing creation of that character, Dignan. Together, they kind of came together, and Polly saw it and said, these guys are great brought them to Hollywood to rewrite Bottle Rocket. They spent several months doing it. And um, where was I? I was nearby somewhere. I was working on Penny Marshall's film, Mm -hmm. uh, League of Their Own. And um, Wes and I met, and he had liked to sleep with me and wanted a young guy, and we became great friends. Owen and he and I were all really good friends. Um, We hung out a lot. And um, when the green light finally came for the movie, Wes said, would you like to edit the movie? And as I said in my speech, (laughs) You know, Columbia was like, absolutely not. (laughs) And he did do what the studio asked, and he met with several fine directors. So basically, we kind of said, well, if Richie Marks looks over my shoulder and Jim Brooks is involved, will you let David do it? And they said yes. And very early on, Richie, to his credit, said, don't worry about that. Do your own thing. Yeah. And uh, believe me. So he wasn't in the editing room. Never. He was just sort of. Never. He just got me the job. Helped get me the job with the powers to be at Columbia. And uh, there's really no way to describe the reception to Bottle Rocket. The public never saw it for the most part. The critics responded very well to it. But Wes's older peers, Martin Scorsese, was a huge champion and asked to meet Wes right away. Yeah. Cameron Crowe was a huge fan, which is why I got hired on Jerry Maguire. 
So the the effect of it was an incredibly kind of industry effect and not a not a yeah. public thing. Now they all everyone looks back at anybody's body of work and says, "Oh wow!" Or like with Rushmore, Rushmore was no more um, popular than Bottle Rocket at the time. Mm -hmm. The studio didn't receive it that well when they first no. saw it. So how, as an editor, you're yeah. sort of stuck in between two things because you're working with this director and you're sort of, it's a director's medium, but then you have the people who are signing your checks. Yes, and with, and with Wes, the, it was a real tug of war on Bottle Rocket um, because Jim would come in, Jim, James L. Brooks mm -hmm. producing with uh, his uh, um, second in command, Richard Sakai, and they would want to make passes at the movie. Wes would leave because he didn't really want to be a part of it to their consternation, of course. Yeah. I'd make all these changes with them. Wes would come in, I'd say, do you want to see Jim's changes? He would say no. So he held steadfast. And we yeah. did, of course, benefit from Jim's incredible um, storytelling sensibilities. The one, there was the one thing that Jim could do that he also did for Cameron and Jerry Maguire. And that was come in and let you know when the story was lagging, when it needed to move forward. It was Jim and Richard Sakai who said, you better really hit home that phrase, show me the money, because uh, yeah. it's going to be in the American lexicon. lexicon. <laughs> um, what we did not know about Jerry Maguire, I'll tell you, was you had me at hello, yeah. which became its own thing. And at the time, I remember it was a cute line and it was yeah. great, but uh, it certainly has lasted as long or maybe even longer than show me the money. Exactly. Uh, Wes's sort of sense of humor is very dry or very yeah. uh, removed. So how do you approach cutting something like that? Well, um, it's the, very deadpan. Yes, the moments. And, you know, I learned early on, um, and it kind of reached its zenith in Life Aquatic, that you have to kind of respect his filmmaking acumen as a director. You know, mm -hmm. I say it's a director's medium. Because there were several performances from Willem Dafoe in particular, whose character Klaus was a just mm -hmm. a wonderful character you know he must have just said oh my god I can't wait to play this guy yeah. you know like you're kind of Bill's foil and anyway there were a lot of takes where um, Willem's performance was a little more over the top and he would cry and he was very like you know overwrought mm -hmm. and I thought those were so funny and Wes was like no that's not real they're going to see the the creation of the character rather than the character or, or whatever I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Wes and I don't mean to but to his credit he would temper those those times, and still the character's iconic. But I will probably still stand by the fact that there are some takes of Willem Dafoe that would just send a theater into stitches. So mm -hmm. as an editor, you respect the director's demands, and what you try to do is put your own uh, filmmaking sensibility, or not sensibility, your own, I, I guess if you thought, well, if I were the director, I'd do this. But you're not the director, so you don't. And then do as, best, as good a job as you can, because uh, they deserve that. And if you're trying to sandbag him, that's kind of shitty. Yeah. Well, he's got a very definitive style, right? Oh, my, yeah. I mean, there's no filmmaker like him in the world. And, and that is why I think when critics take him to task for, or, or say more mainstream Hollywood, takes mm -hmm. him to task for not developing, per se, I, I say read the script. The scripts, the characters are, are becoming so much more interesting and nuanced, and the stories intermeshed and all that. But the visuals are his own, and that's yeah. the way he tells the story. And why in the world would Wes Anderson not do a Wes Anderson film? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, because you were there for his first feature, right. so I was going to ask, were you involved in any way in helping him sort of figure out that style? Or oh, was it yeah, all we like... talked about the editing of it all. You know, a lot of times um, uh, invention comes from uh, necessity. Yeah. And so when you're with a smaller budget film like Bottle Rocket and you need to get from A to B and, or A to C and you don't have B, 
yeah. finally we just said, well, hell with it. We'll just go from A to C. So the cutting yeah. became that kind of uh, what Wes and I for a few years used to call bottle rocket cuts. Yeah. And that was just go, man. And if the audience is with you, if they believe in the characters, or if you close your eyes and you listen to the radio play, you can do what you want with the visuals. And we did that a lot. Yeah. It was very much a, uh, a conscious choice in places where if the movie got in trouble, in Rushmore, there's a great scene with Bill gets in the elevator with Jason Schwartzman. He's got two cigarettes and he's smoking and he puts one in the thing yeah. under the towel. We just cut the hell out of that because we thought it was, first of all, it was so funny. And second of all, it was better if a cut went like that to you than yeah. to wait the time that it took to get from there because then it just sort of submarined the story. So we just thought the hell with it. And we were, of course, we're not the first to have done that. Yeah. But we sort of made it our own in terms of how Wes then kind of changed that thought into his filmmaking like mm -hmm. language, you know? And that kind of started to involve, <clears throat> when he learned that lesson, the, the, some of the great set pieces in his movies, like the, the cutout of the submarine. Yeah. You know, he was like, okay, if I'm gonna do that and I don't wanna cut it, I'm gonna make this shot work all in one. And so he and Bob Yeoman worked on that a great deal. And you know, some of the best shots ever. Wow. And um, you mentioned uh, Jerry Maguire and uh, some other films and I should mention uh, Joe Hutching was the editor of Note. Oh, on that Jerry was actually Wire. one of my questions. Yeah. was because I uh, I was in the back credits. I did start on the beginning. Yeah. They did ask me to do the movie. Uh, when I asked if I could be in the main titles, Joe said, "You know, David, you're and and rightly so." And he did the right decision. I've gotten a lot of acclaim and attention from Jerry Maguire, but uh, I do owe it to Joe and Cameron. I, well, I, I felt like I did a lot of work on it, but I, I've sure. heard every editor I've talked to who's worked with Joe. Yeah, has sort of been, I guess, appreciative of how amazing he is or how good he is at yeah. his job. Probably the best first cut editor in the whole world. Nobody goes through a movie and has his look and, I mean, the analytical thing that he does. The first cuts of Joe's scenes are, are extraordinary and uh, very informative. And, um, you know, he's a, he has this unique personality, does Joe. But, um, he, you know, he and Nancy Myers hired me to come on in a very similar capacity, albeit not from the beginning to the end, mm -hmm. but on um, all of her movies, uh, and until finally we shared credit on it, it's complicated. And although that was kind of a difficult movie in post-production, it was a fun movie to do because, once again, it was a great script, great acting, great yeah. characters. And um, Joe was, uh, you know, a very... Uh, he will, I, I will always consider him, even though we may share a credit, I would always consider him my boss, so to yeah. speak. But then again, how lucky am I? You know, you go from Richie Marks, you work with Joe Hutching. I mean, geez, it's not a it's not a tough world when you're learning every day. Yeah, when you get to work with the best. And yeah, man. And, uh, you know, you echo the best of what you like about them. And then there's other times where it's fun to have to stand up against Richie Marks or Joe Hutching and defend what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And they will take you right to the, you know, whipping post for it. But you stand up and say, no, I, I want this. and uh, Or I, this is what I want to show the director. Yeah. And if you win that battle with them, then you've kind of overcome already a big hurdle. So... Uh, yeah, oh, man, it's great. But I did want to make sure that yeah. that I, I'm not taking total any any credit for Jerry McGuire other than that fact that Joe and Cameron hired me. Well, I was going to ask you about the scene you show or was shown yesterday yeah. with yeah. multiple. That there was a lot of parallel editing in that, and I was wondering how you approached the scene. Well, I was thinking like oh, there, you mean stuff going on? Yeah, at once? multiple. Yeah. So, like, how'd you approach that scene with? Uh, well, I'll tell you. Without um, losing the audience, I guess. Yes, it's funny because when I watched it yesterday, and Cameron, please don't be mad at me, I felt the length of it. Um, and I, maybe it's because as in the time that it's taken between the years those were made and now yeah. that I think even I as an editor would say, oh, geez, we better move this forward. 
So all the time that we spent like necessarily on the live football and the, and the yeah. looking at the feed and the booth, I probably would have cut that down a great deal at this point. And I dare say maybe even Cameron had, I don't want to speak for him, but watching it, I was like, wow, look at that storytelling. That's a certain confidence in that yeah. to make the audience riveted in, in, in no, no, I hate that word, to make the audience invest in what they're watching. And um, even though you could make it faster, he obviously felt at the time, don't do it. So then what you do is you find, how do I, uh, remember I was saying about how movies do this a lot, yep. the ones that I fix, and you want it to do this. So the football does this, and then Regina King on the phone, and then the, mm -hmm. and Jerry looking. And even though it's a, it's a fast shot, it still sort of uh, settles you into the emotion. And it's always about the emotion, and when, when do you bring it, when do you jump out, when do you move forward. And, uh, I, I'll tell you, when I saw the dailies of that scene of her where she's going, uh, you know, this family does not work without him, and it's based on this thing going on at a football game, the juxtaposition of it all was just awesome. And, you know, that's to Cameron's credit. Yeah, and um, I wouldn't mind jumping to ad-libbing, because you were yeah. talking about that, Bill Murray ad-libs a lot, uh, Yeah, like, uh, not well, on Wes's... Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I tried to think about the gun thing. I don't know if Wes told him to do it or not, but... When it does happen, and I, I don't know that Wes's movies would be as accurate as Judd's movies, yeah. or the ones he produced, or the ones that I was lucky enough to come in and work mm -hmm. on, and that's the, the I guess ad libs equal improv. Yeah. And um, mind you now, you can watch uh, two hours of dailies for a scene that's six minutes long, and you know ninety minutes of it may be the most painful improv you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> but those people are really fearless. Yeah. Movie actors, per se, don't necessarily invest in that because they're, uh, that kind of exposes your craft or yeah. your process. Comedians, just especially the people who work uh, in Judd's yeah, area, Judd's, area yeah. they're fearless. And uh, if they're not funny and they know it, they'll, keep, they'll go down the road until the director, be it Paul Feig at the time or um, um, Nick Stoller, who did get into the Greek, will say, okay, okay, we got that now. Let's try this one. And you can either see a tremendous amount of relief in them or they're like, no, 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 I want to keep going. So it's up to the director at that point to know how far you want it to go, where you want it to go. You know, Kristen Wiig wrote Bridesmaids, so mm -hmm. she had an idea of what she wanted to do. But the amount of improv in that was, was kind of amazing. And um, as an editor, as I said, when you're watching them expose their craft, it can be painful sometimes, but you respect why they're trying it. So well, I, find the good, good yeah. moments. What happens if, though... Because one of the issues being that uh, you might not have the coverage then. If Correct. it's one great take well and said. then the next well said, yes. doesn't. How do and you tackle that? Judd Apatow puts you to work to uh, make that work. Um, and how do you... I, the one thing that they're starting to do, or maybe have done all along, uh, is, is that when they know they have a great bit, yeah. they'll try to catalog it in their head so that when they go around to the other side, like Russell Brand and Jonah Hill... So they'll say, oh, God, Jonah, remember when Russell did that thing? We need you to respond yeah. to it. It can never be quite as um, organic. So you just need to craft together that kind of um, cutting around to the other side or using whatever it is and work it into the film. I don't know how to say it other than you fail over and over again until finally you get one and you go, I think that works. I'll show it to Judd. So that was part two of my interview with David. Now, we're going to be at NAB this year, so make sure to contact us if you're going to be there. We're also going to be posting lots of content during NAB, so you'll definitely want to check that out. If you're going to be at NAB, you can always contact us at info at AOTG.com. You can get us on Twitter at AOTG Network, or of course you can get us on our Facebook account 
facebook.com slash aotgnetwork. This episode was cut by John Pasifer. I'd like to thank John for cutting this episode. Of course, I'd like to thank David Moritz for joining me. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. Thanks.